Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. If I'm going to devote my life to something, invest my time, my resources, my emotions, uh, my relationships, I'm going to do that. I want to make sure it matters. You know, I don't, but I don't want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time and energy doing something that when all is said and done, it was like a waste of time. Have you ever done that? Where you worked and invested and finally came out in the end and feel, feel like this was a waste of time. It didn't accomplish anything. And I think all of us want that kind of thing in life that, and I think God has put it in us that, that we want to matter. We want what we do to be significant and, and to make a difference. And so we're faced with choices in life. What do we invest in? What do we spend our time on? What do we choose to love and set our hearts upon? And we know that the, the stakes are high there because if we aren't careful, we could come down a long road and look back and say, it really didn't lead anywhere. And we don't want to do that. And, and so this word on the screen up here, momentum, um, to me, kind of speaks to the idea of what it is that we are looking for to be, when we're a part of something, to feel as though it is making a difference, that there is a growing momentum to what we're doing. Now, I don't know if you remember in school, you know, momentum technically is a physics term, and I know it's pretty rough on a rainy Sunday morning to be telling you to think about physics stuff. Uh, but just very simple, the idea is momentum is the, the strength or the force that something has when it's in motion. And, and the, the bigger the object is and the greater the velocity, the greater the momentum. And, and so, by the way, an object at rest has no momentum. An object that isn't moving along. Kind of like the Red Sox. I mean, seriously, I mean, when, when you aren't sensing a momentum, I mean, just when I think of it in, in those kinds of terms, uh, when there's no momentum, I mean, how excited are you to, I got to catch the game? Or I got to find out on the news tonight what happened? No. See, you lack, there isn't any momentum there. And so your evaluation of that is this really isn't making a difference, it doesn't matter. And, and you know, the same with the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots have had momentum for a long time now. It's kind of gone up and down, but the idea is this, and I, I, I'm a Patriots fan. I love to watch the games when I can. Sometimes I don't get to watch the whole games because on Sunday, sometimes I'm still here talking with people, which is way more important than the game, okay? But I like to get home and watch the game. I like to do that. But I guarantee you, if the Patriots start going 4 and 12, Bill, it could happen. <laughs> If they start doing that, it becomes the consistent thing. You know what? I'm just not going to be as concerned about getting there, right? And so momentum has a draw to us, and momentous, momentum tends to tell us about something. By the way, bad things could have momentum too, but it tells us that there's, there's an impact being had here. Something is happening, and as, as something grows in size, the momentum increases. As, as the velocity increases, the momentum increases. 
Um, the same is true for churches. Churches that aren't really going anywhere have no momentum. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part. I don't want to invest my life in something that has no momentum, that isn't going somewhere for Christ. And so we have to be a church in motion. If you go ahead and go to that next slide, that'd be awesome. We want to be a part of a church that's in motion, that's going somewhere, that's, that's making a difference. Well, how do we do that? How do we make sure that this, this investment we're making, I mean, you're here today and, and most of you are here every week. And then you're here other times and you're giving and, and you're building relationships. You know, how do we, what does it take for us to be able to continue to experience church that really matters? Church that we will be happy to look back on our lives and when we stand before Christ that we were a part of and invested in. Well, we're starting a sermon series here this morning that will run through the rest of the the summer entitled The Church in Motion. It's about us joining Jesus in his mission. And it's from the book of Acts. And we want to see what was going on with that church in the book of Acts. Because it is in the book of Acts that they carry on and, and put into practice all those things that Jesus had been teaching them. And so we want to look and see what are some key things there that that we need to understand so we don't end up investing our lives in something that doesn't really matter. Well, so let's turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be on page 1252 to start with. Acts chapter 1. Now, here in this passage... As we start off, Luke is saying, hey, I'm continuing the story that I wrote in the gospel. I'm going to continue that story so you'll, you'll understand how it all connects going forward. And he talks about uh, Jesus, you know, he's risen from the dead and he has now uh, asked his disciples to meet him before he, just before he leaves the earth. And he talks to them and, and tells them that God is going to give them power when he gives them the Holy Spirit in a new and different kind of way. And then he, he tells them that they, they have a mission, and he reminds them of the mission. He told them the mission before, and uh, he tell, had told them that they're to go into all the world and make disciples. And now he says here in Acts 1 that you're going to be witnesses for me throughout the world. You go do that, carry the gospel and the story of me throughout the world. And he told them, but don't go anywhere yet. Go back to Jerusalem and stay there until the Father sends the Holy Spirit, empowers you in that way. And so that's what they did. They, they followed the instructions. By the way, there's a little hint. When God gives instructions, follow them. That's, not, that's true way beyond just your church relationship, Okay. But anyway, so they followed these, and they went, and let's read in verse 13 of chapter 1, again, page 1252. It says, and when they had entered, entered Jerusalem, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. That's not Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. is another Judas. It says, these all continued with one accord, in prayer and supplication with the women 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And, and there are other people here as well because uh, in the next verse or so, it tells us that the number of the, the disciples here was about 120 at this point. Okay? Um, and so that's a pretty amazing statement right there. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. I mean, don't you, you, you know that in our lives, um, the more people we get together, the less one accord we have, right? And that's the natural tendency, okay? So we see something special going on here. All right, well, the story continues. Uh, the disciples decide that they, they think they need to replace Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, and so they, they pick someone who's qualified, who had been with them the whole time, and, and they're waiting. Wait another day. Wait another day. Wait another day. But that's what Christ told them to do, wasn't it? And so they waited. And then on the 10th day, all of a sudden, something happens. They're together. They're in one accord. They're praying. And God sends the Holy Spirit in a new and different way than they had ever experienced it before. The Holy Spirit actually came and indwelled them and indwelled his church. And then he, he, it says that they heard a rushing mighty wind. God gave some miraculous kinds of signs to go along with it. And, and they saw tongues of fire and, and, and they began to praise God. But what was unique about it is God gave them a special ability to praise God in languages they had never learned. A bunch of different languages. There's a list of them later on in the, the chapter there. And, and that got everybody's attention. Okay, people are hearing this. They heard the rushing mighty wind. They hear them praising. And we don't know if the disciples spilled out into the, the, uh, the area at that time or not. But it caught people's attention. They came. They said, what's going on? Because every one of us, we're all, by the way, this is a, a, the Feast of Pentecost when people, Jewish people from all over the world came back to Jerusalem. Some of them who had never been to Jerusalem before. They only knew their own language where they had grown up. And they come back here and they say, how is it that we're hearing all of these in our own language. That guy's speaking my language. Those guys are speaking something I can't understand. And they're hearing all this miraculous signs. And then Peter gets up. And in a language that everybody understands, probably Greek, maybe Aramaic, probably Greek, we aren't sure. But he stands up and he preaches the gospel. And he, he tells them about this Jesus who had come. Talks about how he had been crucified by the Jewish leaders and what he had accomplished. And then we get in chapter 2 here on page 1255. And start in verse 40. Page 1255. Which is probably right at the bottom of the previous page, right? Anyway, it says, and with many other words. This is at the end of his sermon. And with many other words. By the way, I like that. Because I'm a preacher. So we have the basic outline. I mean, I have the basic outline for anything, but I also say it with many other words, and I have to learn to stop. But anyway, so Peter preached. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That means they received Christ, they believed, then they were followed that with baptism, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What would happen if all of a sudden we had 30 more people show up here today? Would we notice it? What if we had 300 show up? Would we notice it? What happens when 3,000 show up? 3,000, let's see, we gotta do about 15 services, Dave. 
I think I'm going to need some help. <laughs> this was huge in so many ways. Is this a move of God? Is there some momentum here? Momentum is picking up. It's growing and it's, getting, it's beginning to move and move faster. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That means their teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread, which is probably meals, but probably also includes the Lord's Supper, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And what they mean by this overwhelming sense, the overwhelming awareness of, of God, and he's real, and look what he's doing. We're experiencing it. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Miraculous things happening. And we'll see some of those as we go through our series this summer. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. That means they, they shared what they had with each other and, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. In other words, if I have something, you need it, it's available for you. Is that, is that the normal way people live? Is that the way people normally live? No, it's not. The, this is a God thing. Very much a God thing. So continuing daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So they're meeting together for the apostles' teaching, uh, all, as many as could get together. I'm sure they weren't all there at once, but then also they were getting together in houses, breaking bread, uh, eating together, probably taking the Lord's Supper together. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. It was just so clear to them that what God was doing in their lives, verse 47, praising God, and having favor with all the people. What God was doing in their lives was such a good thing that others looked on that as a good thing. Now, they weren't even called Christians yet. But the people around them who didn't know Christ said, there's some good things about these people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Daily, more and more people coming to Christ. That means the church is increasing in size, isn't it? It's, it's getting larger and larger. And when, a something, when an object is in motion and you increase its size, it picks up momentum. The momentum increases. And that's what we see happening here. The church was in motion in the direction that God had given them to go. They were in motion, joining Jesus in his mission. So we see here, we see the power of the gospel in this passage, don't we? People were getting saved. Bunches of people were getting saved. We see the power of God. Miracles are being done. Things that need to happen that they need God to do and they can't do themselves. God is doing those things for them. The miracles are happening. We see the love of God in the, in the lives of people for each other of how they are loving each other and caring for each other, burdened and concerned for each other, praying for each other. And then we see their love for God as they've devoted their lives to him and what he's given them to do. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could see that kind of thing today? Is it available to us? I mean... I don't know if it's available on the same scale. It could be, but God would have to do it, wouldn't he? 
I mean, the size, the, the numbers are up to God, not us. But I do believe this is available to us, and I can tell you what, we already see glimpses of it. We already find hints of it, sometimes bigger than other times. We see that these things are available to us. You know, we already see the power of the gospel. How many of you have come to Christ in connection with this church family in some way? Has it changed your life? The power of the gospel. Just this last Wednesday night, we had five teenagers and separate from that, one adult man who received Christ as Savior. The power of the gospel. We also see the love of God in people's lives. We, I, I watch as you, you love each other and care for each other. And sometimes it just shines forth in big ways. And other times there's places where we need to see it better. And then we see people's love for God. Because it's, I just believe that, that most of you, as I watch you try to live your life for the Lord, that you wouldn't be doing what you're doing unless you had a love for God. And I think I left out the power of God, but the power of God is not to be left out. God does work. God does things. Sometimes we don't know how to solve something, and God just does something. Sometimes his miracles are in timing. Sometimes his miracles are in provision. Sometimes his miracles are in a person at a certain point in time doing something. But we see all of this. So these things are available to us. But how is it, how, how do we get to experience these things in a growing way? You're right to where each of these areas, they increase and they grow. Where, where we are a church in motion and, and we are picking up momentum. I mean, wouldn't you like to have that kind of experience kind of be an ongoing thing for you? That you could look, you know, back over your investment and in, in, in your time and, and resources and relationships in this church and say, wow, look what God has done. Isn't that what we want? Well, how, how does that happen? Well, I think we could probably come up with a long list of things that we would think would be important for that. But I think there's something that's really essential. And we've got to go back and look at chapter 1, verse 14 again and see what that one thing is. It says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. That's where this all started. Okay? That's, that's where it began. They went and waited, and they were all continuing with one accord in prayer and supplication. See, here's the thing. If we want to experience what the first church experienced, then we have to start where the first church started. And where'd they start? All continuing in one accord with prayer and supplication. We're talking about unity here. They had unity. Unity is this big picture idea. And here's the deal. If, if you have a church with, that's full of unity, you have a church that's full of Jesus. And when Jesus is filling the church, you have unity in the church. 
Now, if the church is filled with anything else, if the church is filled with a bunch of personalities, if the church is filled with personal preferences, if the church is filled with uh, programs and, and traditions, anything that we just think is so important, if that's what our church is about and that's what our church is filled up with, you're going to have to look long and hard to find Jesus. And here's the deal. When a church is not unified around the Lord, I, I think Jesus kind of just steps back a little ways and, and, and works and tries to get us to get back to focusing on him and what he's given us to do. And then he can enter back in and do his work. Unity. How, how important does God consider unity to be? Well, let's, let's look at some verses here. And they'll be on the screen up here behind me, so you don't have to turn from them. In John chapter 17, as Jesus prays to his Father for us and for all believers who would come, he prays this, that they all may be one, that the world may believe that you sent me. Our unity and what people observe in our unity is one of the things they're going to use to decide whether or not Jesus is who he really said he was. And whether or not he really did what God said he would do. If we are not unified, if, if people's contact with us, they find out that, boy, this one talks about this one and this one treats this. If they get that, what are they going to do? Oh, this is what I want to be a part of. This must, the gospel must be true. No, they won't do that. But when they come and find a group of people who actually do love each other and who are one in heart and mind about what God has given us to do as a church. Different people, different views, but they are unified. That speaks powerfully because you don't see that much of any place in the world. Philippians chapter two, the apostle Paul writes, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And a little bit later he says the mind he's talking about is the mind of Christ, that, we, that it's what Christ thinks and believes and says is what we are focusing on together. Proverbs chapter six says, these six things the Lord hates. Hates, God hates some things. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And it lists six of them. And the last one is this one who sows discord among brethren. God hates it when we sow discord. First Corinthians chapter three, talking to a church that was not uh, experiencing unity. He says, for you are still carnal. That means fleshly. You're not living spiritually. You are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Boy, I like that last phrase. What does that mean if you're a Christian? You've been born again. The Lord Jesus Christ has come to live in you. The Holy Spirit is there. He has changed you deep down inside. You are no longer a mere human. You are a God-indwelled human. And he says, but when you are allowing division to rule, you're living like that's not true. Romans chapter 16. He says, note those who cause divisions and offenses and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Wow. People causing division do not serve the Lord. They're serving something else. Titus chapter three. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning. 
being self-condemned. How does God feel about unity? How does God feel about division? If we want to be like, experience what we read about in the first church there, we need to value what they valued. And it's quite clear that they valued what God valued, unity in God. They valued what Christ valued in the church, unity in the church. And if we're going to experience what the first church experienced, we need to start where the first church started. So let's go back here and and do a little closer look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. To start with the word all. All of them. There was nobody apparently who was uh, dragging their feet. There was nobody who was in the background kind of being a naysayer. There was nobody here saying, uh, well, why are we in the upper room? This isn't a good place to be. You know, I don't think we should do our prayer meeting this way. Who put Peter in charge anyway? Why didn't I hear about this? There wasn't any of that kind of stuff. They were all together in this. Now, let's just talk here uh, real open for a minute. Um, The reality is, is that all of us, a group this size, and even in a group of 120, we're never all going to be in agreement on everything. Talk more about that later. We aren't always going to see things the same way. And that can be a problem, but it doesn't have to be a problem. Let me tell you how this works. There's two ways to to approach this issue. One is the way they did it. So they were in one accord. And here's the deal. If we are in one accord, and we're going to talk more about what we need to be one accord about in a little while here. But if we are all in one accord, we're there, uh, the Lord is our focus, the mission is our focus, and we're doing that, and then all of a sudden, I have an idea about something, and maybe you have a different idea about something. But we are in one accord, and so we look at these things. And we talk about them, we pray about them, and then we use however we're structured to make the decision, right? But we're together in that. We're all together trying to figure out how to do this. And and we come from different perspectives. That's, That's one way to approach those kinds of things. But the other way is not good. And the other way is to start off not in one accord and think we have to settle all these issues before we can be. In other words, well, I think this is important. Well, I think this is important. Well, I think that's silly that you think that's important. I don't think, and, and back and forth we go. I think it ought to be done this way, not that way. I think this person should decide, not that person. I think our worships are, and we think we have to resolve all that before we can be in one accord. We will never be in one accord. You see, we have to settle something in our hearts and minds. We have to settle in our hearts and minds that we are going to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, there's lots of things I could preach to you about, but I have determined to preach one thing among you, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we come together that we are the body of Christ. We belong to Christ. We are his people. We are his church. He has given us his mission. And and so we are going to be together on this no matter what. And if we disagree about some things along the way, we're just going to have to figure out how to work that out because we are together going where God wants us to go. Very, very important. They all 
were together in these things. And it says they were all together with, how does it say it? With one accord. With one accord. It's interesting. This, that, that's the translates one Greek word, with one accord. And here's what it literally means. It means unanimous. Isn't that interesting? Let's go back and read that verse with, and plug that word in there. It doesn't really flow, but let's plug it in. These all continued unanimous in prayer and supplication. Now, we kind of think the words unanimous and Baptist are oxymorons. They don't go together, right? When have Baptists ever been unanimous? It seems like this is an overwhelming obstacle to us. But it really isn't if we start thinking about what is it that we need to be unanimous about. What do we need to be unanimous about? We need to be unanimous about what the, the apostles and, and the people here in the first church were unanimous about. And they were unanimous about who Jesus was. And that he had indeed died and risen from the dead. That he was alive. That he had overcome the grave. They were unanimous about what that meant to people in their lives. That, that we could be saved and born again, right? We, we're, we're desperately in need of a Savior and forgiveness of sins. And that knowing Jesus can do that. They were unanimous about following the Lord's instructions for them as a church. What did he tell them to do? Go back to Jerusalem and wait. What did they do? They went back to Jerusalem and waited. They were following the instructions. They were unanimous about we need to follow the instructions. They, they were unanimous about the mission that Christ had given them. They were unanimous about honoring God and about depending God on God. In fact, let's look at this. They were unanimous, it says, in prayer. And the words that's translated in prayer here, there's different kinds of words that translate prayer, but this word communicates the idea of a worshipful prayer. In other words, this is prayer that focuses on the one that we're praying to, not about what we're praying for. And they were unanimous about this, that we need to be together and, and pray to God and praise him and, and honor him. You know, you are almighty, you are all-knowing, you are all-loving, you are just and holy, and you do what's right, and you love us. And, but praying to God, worshipful prayer, this is a focus on who God is. They were unanimous in that. And then they were unanimous in supplication. And supplication communicates the idea of specific requests. These are the things we need. God, we, we know that nobody gets saved because a parking lot's bad. But God, you've entrusted us with this, this property and this parking lot, and we do believe it's getting in the way. It is becoming a hindrance. And so, God, we need you to provide for that. You see, and so we, we bring those kinds of requests. Uh, Father, there's this person that, that I'm trying to reach and I just can't see, I need you to open this heart. We bring those kinds of requests. They were unanimous about depending on God. See, that's what those kinds of requests are about, aren't they? It's about God, we need you. <laughs> Do you need God for anything today? Can you think of anything in your life that you need him for? Well, we could be unanimous that we need God and that we're going to depend on God. And that's what they were doing. And, and it's interesting, it says here that they, were all, they all continued. And this word means that they were diligently doing it. This wasn't happening by accident. When they got together, they were diligent about these things. They were diligent about what they were thinking. They were diligent about what they were saying. They were diligent about what they were praying. They, they, it mattered to them. 
And they were unanimous that all of these things matter. And we have to do them. And we want to do them. They were unanimous in those things. Unanimous about honoring God. Unanimous about loving each other. Unanimous about carrying out the mission of making disciples, getting the gospel to people, getting them saved, teaching them to follow Christ, doing a better job of that themselves. They were unanimous in those things. And because of that, God did amazing things. And he'll do amazing things here. Unless we choose not to be unanimous. Once again, that doesn't mean we agree on everything. You know, I say, if someone says, well, I don't like the, the worship music. I don't like the, the volume. I don't like the lights the way that I don't. I, we should do this. And if you want to focus on that, you can, folks. Or we can say, no, no, no. We've got something much more important to focus on. Something much bigger. Something much greater. Because I guarantee you, in the long run, in eternity, it's not going to make much difference what kind of songs we sang. What's going to matter is what was going on in our hearts when we sang them. Right? So we have a choice to make. If we are going to, and I just picked on worship stuff because it was easy right then, okay? We could find other things, I'm sure. We have a choice to make. If we are going to experience what the first church experienced, we have to start where the first church started. We need to all be together in this. We need to be diligent about it. We need to make choices to be unanimous in one accord about the things that matter. And we need to worship God and honor him and we need to depend on him. And when we do that, we can experience what we read about at the end of chapter 2. So what has the Holy Spirit spoken to you about today? There's some area of your life you say, I don't know if I want to go there. I don't know if I want to set that aside. What's he talking to you about? Jesus said to his disciples one day, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Jesus tells us to unite, be united, unified around him. And then to work everything else out. I want to experience what we see in the book of Acts. I mean, the numbers, that's God's business. But I want to see. I want to experience that. I want to be a part of something that matters. I want to be a part of the church in motion. As we join Jesus in his mission. Let's pray. Father, we bring this before you, and I do believe that every person here who knows you, who has received you as Savior, that deep down inside, they want what we see in your word. 
Father, I pray that you'd cut through the things that get in the way, the things that we believe that aren't true or, or the things we think that are important that aren't. Father, cut through that. We depend on you to do that. We need you to do that. Bring us together, Father, so clearly around your son, around the mission, around loving each other, loving you. And Father, do this amazing work in us as we move forward according to your word and in the power of your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.